0: We are attentive to the implications of changes in the value of the dollar and will continue to formulate policy to guard against risk to our dual mandate to foster both maximum employment and price stability.
1: Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. Today is Monday, November 16th. I'm Alex Bloomberg.
0: And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today on the podcast. Yep, Law and Order, Planet Money style. <laughs> We're going to do a recap of last week's not guilty verdict in one of the first big trials looking at Wall Street criminal-like behavior or criminal behavior as a possible cause of the meltdown.
1: Yeah, you might remember that two Bear Stearns hedge fund managers were facing criminal charges last week after the funds they managed blew up in the summer of 2007. Reporter Lisa Chow, uh, who's been on the podcast before, she spent a lot of time at that trial, and she came in to tell us all about it.
0: But first, Alex, we have our Planet Money indicator, which is 1.4%. That is the rate at which consumer spending increased last month. That's right, increased.
1: We've been talking a lot about how numbers are decreasing around here. This is a good one. It's a better number than analysts were
0: expecting. I like it when numbers go up. Yes, exactly. Except for the unemployment rate. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I did my part. I bought my lunch today. <laughs> All right, so on to today's podcast. Uh, as we said last week, two Bear Stearns hedge fund managers, their names are Ralph Chaffee and Matthew Tanin. They were acquitted In federal court of fraud charges The government alleged that These two guys had broken the law By lying to investors
1: Chaffee and Tanin they ran this fund Or a couple of funds that invested Mainly in subprime related securities CDOs and that sort of thing And the funds were going great, making lots of money For their investors, but then around the middle Of 2007, the funds ran Into trouble, and people in the funds Started pulling their money out And that's where the
0: government said Chaffee and Tanin broke the law a lot of the case had to do with uh, redemptions, you know, when investors pull their money out of a fund. And prosecutors claimed that people were pulling their money out, but that Chaffee and Tanin lied, told other people, don't worry, that's not happening, which is illegal.
1: The case was a big deal because it was the first time the government brought charges related to the subprime mortgage crisis and the ensuing financial downturn. And when the indictment against these two guys was first unsealed in June 2008, it seemed like the government had a pretty strong case. There were these damning emails the government had from Chaffee and Tanine. One in particular they actually quoted in the press release the feds did when they when they unsealed the indictment. Um, and it was from Matthew Tanine to Ralph Chaffee, and it said quote, "The subprime market looks pretty damn ugly. If we believe our internal modeling is anywhere close, all in caps to accurate, I think we should close the funds now. The reason for this is that if our modeling is correct, then the entire subprime market is toast." And then it goes on to say, there is simply no way for us to make money ever. That was in the indictment. And I talked to WNYC reporter Lisa Chow, who was following the case from the beginning to the very end, um, about these emails and about how the government's case went wrong. And she said that that one line, which the government put in its indictment, it was taken from a longer email, a much longer email.
2: It's a four-page email written by Matthew Tanine from his Gmail account. So, you know, the government basically is trying to show that he went outside of the Bear Stern system. That raises a little, you know, red flag. And he also sent this email from his Gmail account to Ralph Chaffee's wife's personal email account.
1: I see. Yes. And so it sounds very damning. It seems like yeah. he's basically admitting the government's case right there, that, like, we know it's really bad and we're trying to cover it up. So, so how... How how did this not play in front of a jury? What happened?
2: How come this wasn't yeah. a smoking gun that the government wanted? Well, I mean, if you read it closely, uh, it's a, you know, as I said, it's four pages. And the first page, the government called a love letter between one conspirator to another. It's a very kind of emotional, sentimental email. Uh-huh. And let me just read, before we get to the smoking gun, sure, part, sure. let me just read parts of this. Um, and, and, and the defense read this uh, in their closing uh, to kind of humanize a little bit these two these two people. Uh, this is Matthew Tenney writing. He says, "Over the past four years, a lot has changed, and a lot has not." We have been very successful, measured in almost every conceivable way. We have raised a lot of money. We've made a lot of money. We've hired a lot of good people. But for me, most importantly, we have spent our time well. And time is the only thing in in this life which one can't ever get back. And he goes on, and he just talks about his feeling, and he's like, you know, I'm not sure how you're feeling right now deep down. I guess I'm not 100% sure how I'm feeling deep down either. But I think I'm feeling pretty damn good. I think I'm feeling this way because I have Absolutely no doubt that that I've done the best possible job that I could have done. Mistakes, yep, I've made them, but they do not bother me as much as they did years ago. I've come to see that whatever my, quote, intelligence or, quote, abilities are, they are not substantially worse than any of any of the people we speak to, talk to, or read of. So... And he uses an expletive here. Eff uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> F it. All one can do is their best, and I have done this. And you know that first paragraph I read, Chaffee's lawyer was reading that in his closing, and Tanine choked up. I mean, this is an email Tanine was writing, and he choked up, and you could see he was on the verge of tears. I mean, put his mouth. To, he, was, he put his hand to his mouth to kind of control himself. Um, And there were moments where Chaffee, the jurors tell me, where Chaffee's choked up, too, because in their emails, they write a lot about their families and how at the end of the day, you know, they have their families and and all that. So, anyway, so that was...
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like like if the government is trying to present this this case of, like, these these cold-hearted banksters out there lying lying to investors, that's the last thing the government wants to see is, like, this heartfelt email full of emotion talking about your family talking about how we tried our best and
2: right, right. That we
1: didn't quite make it every time but we have no regrets and we did our best right yeah. right
2: and then okay so that was part one part yeah. two <laughs> is much more and even it's funny he says okay part two and he, and he said and actually before he ends part one he says okay put the Kleenex away part two is far less sentimental that's him writing uh-huh. um, and then here he goes really into all of the options of what we can do with the funds and you know I mean, and this
1: email is written in. in us put this email in context. This is the thing. they know things are turning ugly in this market. They know that they're in trouble. Their funds right. are in trouble. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. Okay. So let's kind of put us back in the timeline here. This email was written in actually. I have it, it was written April twenty second, two thousand and seven. Um, three days before a very important investor conference call, and that was this. There was this feeling that. Okay, we're in some trouble. We just got this report. And this is the investment modeling report that he referred to in the email. We got this report. It's not looking... I'm I'm reading this report, and this report really doesn't look very good for us. And so he kind of lays out his strategy and uh-huh. he says, you know, that we have some important decisions to make. Um and then he just goes through these these you know these things. He's like we could close the funds and he and he gives reasons. He says the subprime market looks pretty damn ugly. CPR CDR, which is the model they're talking about, tells us we're looking at major write downs across the board. If we believe the runs Steve has been doing are anywhere close to accurate.
1: In other words if we believe the model.
2: If we believe the model right I think we should close the funds now. The reason for this is that if the model is correct, and this is what this is what the defense is trying to point out, if everything right. is catched and if, you know, of course they have this investor conference call coming up, so of course they're thinking about strategies. Like, what do we do? We just got this model, oh. and Tanine is interpreting this models really bad. Um, so, you know, he's going through this option. If we believe this to be correct, then the entire subprime market is toast. And then he goes into this other scenario where then he says you know or we could be really aggressive so I mean so that's what they're saying it was just it was a discussion point
1: right it's sort of like when you see a movie uh, review where it's just like one word and it's sort of like awesome, you know, or whatever, and the, the re- reporter could have been like, give me an awesome headache, you know, <laughs> right, but it's right. still... And it sounds like the government sort of did the same thing here. They cherry-picked one little phrase from this e- email that sounds very damning, but if you put the whole email in context, it seems much less like... um a nefarious thing and more like a, a, a couple of prudent managers laying out all their options.
2: Right, right. And I think the jurors definitely picked up on that. One juror told me that, you know, you could find gotcha moments with anyone if you read select quotes from their emails. You know, I mean, he just felt it was an unfair tactic. Wow. And he actually pointed out, I mean, one juror that I spoke to pointed that out as saying, you know, if you pulled back the frame and read the entire email in context, it just... The, the government's argument didn't make sense,
1: wow, and so yeah. what so what were they thinking why did they did, did they have anything else? Did they have any other sort of was that their best
2: shot? The well, they also had this i mean basically they're you know and they kind of couch their argument consistently in this we are not going after these guys because their hedge funds failed. We are going after these guys because they lied to investors. So even if you disregard this particular email, another point that they referenced consistently is in this investor conference call three days later after this email was written, uh, Trophy said, I believe there's been a couple million of redemptions. Now that... Nine seconds of of an hour and a half investor conference call, the government claims was a lie.
1: Okay, now we have that clip right here, and we'll 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 play that for you. So this is the clip you're talking about. The
0: big, you know, the, obviously the, the the questions we've been getting from a number of investors are, how do we look on uh, on a redemption subscription basis? Um, the um, the next big redemption date or would be June thirtieth, and as of now, I believe we only have a couple million of redemptions for
2: the June 30 date
1: so that nine seconds got debated over and over and over again
2: okay so actually let me back up a little bit all right a few days before this investor conference call they get a fax from their third largest investor who says he wants to put pull out 57 million dollars from okay. the fund so the government says the managers knew about this they they were they were already worried about redemptions so it's it's kind of naivete to think that they didn't know about this $57 million redemption. I mean, they were worried about it. It was on the top of their minds. They hear from the third largest investor that he wants to pull $57 million out. So... They knew about it. The defense says, yes, he knew about it, but they didn't know when the money was going to be pulled out. And right now, they were talking about a, you know, in the investor conference call, they're talking about a June 30th date. So the defense was saying, yes, they knew about the redemption, the $57 million redemption, but they didn't know when. And then there was this whole discussion about what's a redemption. If you put in a notice, is that really a redemption? Because investors always played this game.
1: So so did that hedge fund eventually pull out $57 million or not?
2: They had, they had two redemption notes, and I think they got part of their money out.
1: Okay, yeah. All right. So, so that, so that nine seconds where he, where the, the and and who won that discussion? Do you think the prosecution? I, I guess the defense won, right? Like the defense basically view prevailed that that was not a lie by saying it's just a few million. He was he was basically saying
2: basically the defense created enough doubt in the minds i actually don't think that they necessarily won on that point the defense i think the prosecution won but did not win on a very critical element which is did these two men have the intent to defraud because i talked to one juror and she said clearly they were withholding information I mean, right. she even admitted, she's like, they were withholding information. If I were to talk to them right now, I would tell them, be more honest with your investors, be more upfront with your investors. But were they intending to defraud them is a, is a completely different question. And I think that the jurors, uh, the jurors that I spoke to basically said they could not see the intent to defraud.
1: So what, yeah, so so. Wh- I mean in terms of like you know this is one of the biggest Wall Street centered crises in history that we've we've gone through clearly there's many many lawsuits what does this mean for prosecutions going forward for 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 sort of seeking out wrongdoing going forward what effect is this judgment going to have have on that process
2: you know it it's hard to say because you know I talked to uh I talked to a bunch of experts in securities law, as well as just white collar criminal law, former federal prosecutors and professors at Columbia Law School. And you know, I, I, speaking to one former federal prosecutor, he says that so the fear by defense attorneys that we're going to go after the big fat cats on Wall Street if there if there were you know massive investor losses that people suffered. Is just unfounded, mm-hmm. and that the presumption from the government that we're going to convict fat cats on Wall Street <laughs> is also unfounded, just
1: simply for being fat cats on Wall Street. Right, yeah. right. That you
2: can't presume that, and 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 one of the weaknesses in this case, this former federal prosecutor was was telling me, is that they didn't have. Uh, I mean, they didn't have someone cooperating with them. Basically, someone who could say yes on, you know, April twenty fifth. We were sitting in a room and we decided to commit these crimes, and we, you know, you didn't have that, and so you just had a lot of circumstantial evidence that they were relying on. So, this federal prosecutor said they're just going to have to make sure that their cases are. Really solid and airtight, and that they're relying on, they're getting people cooperating with them who are basically admitting to the crimes. Right, right. And they didn't have that, right. so.
1: And this case now, you were saying this case is not is not done, right? What is the next step of this? Like this case, the one in Brooklyn is done, but these these guys are still. Have to face trial on a separate on separate charges in Manhattan.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, the SEC has its civil complaint against the two men, and there are many investors who have civil complaints against Matt Tanini and Ralph Chaffee, uh investor groups, but also banks, lenders who were lending them money right before it collapsed, um, and felt that they were, you know, defrauded. And let me just just say very briefly. They are going after uh, the two men in a very different way than the government. The government was focused on they lied, they lied, they lied, that securities fraud. The civil suits are really focusing on the actual investment strategy, that there was misrepresentation on how much subprime mortgages were the collateral to these hedge funds. Right. So they're really going after something much more kind of detailed and nuanced. And harder
1: to explain to a jury, potentially.
2: Potentially much harder (laughs) to explain. Um, But, of course, we know the bar is much lower for the civil guys. And the civil suits go after much more than Ralph uh, and Matt. They go after them and their bosses and their bosses and Bear Stearns. Mm -hmm. And because J.P. Morgan assumed all the liabilities... Uh, and J.P. Morgan also set aside something like $5 billion to pay out liabilities. That's why the civil litigants feel they have, you know, th- th- they're dipping into a big pile of cash, potentially. <laughs>
1: Right, yeah. and
2: it's just interesting. Like even just reading this, the details that came out. I mean, in this case, you know, they're talking about Chaffee and his you know, five homes in the different, you know, where that information did not come out in the government's case. Uh, but here, they they outlined very clearly how much money he made and you know where his money was. And apparently, he had an interest in Ferraris and was collecting.
1: Right. Yeah. So you know, it's, so sort of the color that might have swung a jury right. a different way. Right. Had they uh, instead of just sort of like I love you, man
0: sort of rhetoric in their emails. <laughs>
2: right, right, right.
0: So, Alex, it looks like these guys can't go on vacation just yet. They're going to have to be in the courtroom a little longer. Yeah, it looks like they're going to be um, in,
1: in, in the courtroom for a long time to come. But for the government, I think there's also a big question, which is, do, do we try to bring any more criminal charges? And, you know, I think what they, what they were trying to do here is it seemed like, was to keep it as simple as possible, you know, just sort of make it about, did they lie or not? And definitely, that that didn't work for the government, and so you know we'll see if what sort of cases they continue to bring and and what sort of strategies they try to they try
0: to use. Yeah, you don't get much better material than uh, the subprime market is toast. Or, <laughs> exactly, and is. and also, I mean, it's really interesting.
1: I mean, here's here here are these people who are you know like they're in the most hated profession in America right now, probably, and. Um, and at the end, I read some story in Bloomberg News that said um, that one of the jurors was quoted as saying that when she started, she thought they were guilty. Um, but by the end, not only did, they, did she think they were not guilty, but she would have invested her own money with them if she had enough. <laughs> so um, that's definitely um, not what you want if you're the prosecutor. So anyway, I think that wraps it up for us today. Please send us your comments, your pictures, your emails, your thoughts to planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Alex Bloomberg,
0: and I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening.